0: It's a thoughtful way to celebrate their accomplishments and make the occasion even more special. Visit MMS.com to create your own personalized gifts and party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code WONDERY to receive 15% off your next order.
1: Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness.
2: sitting in Chloe's apartment while she is vigorously making uh, cupcakes for co- You're not making cupcakes? making cookies today, cupcakes tomorrow She's making a lot of cookies today and <laughs> decided for Christmas to make themed cupcakes for every one of her friends <laughs> It's It is like cupcake-ageddon in the kitchen. There's flour and dough. That's the best kind of the end of the world. It is the, if the end of the world is going to come in cupcake form, then uh, I'm just going to lie on my back in the street and wait for a cupcake goodness to take me into the netherworld. Um, but uh, I will be performing in Bloomington, Indiana, mid-January. And I believe those dates would be... January, oh, I almost have it, the 17th through the 19th. So if you go to Nerdist.com slash calendar, you can figure out ways to get tickets to that. I also would like to thank a brand new sponsor of the Nerdist podcast, Thing X. ThingX.com uh, is uh, basically a collaboration between Adult Swim and former writers of the Onion, uh... You can see my pal Joe Randazzo uh, lurking around on there. It's really, it's um, super funny. There's there's sort of like, there's articles, and there's videos, and there's original series, there's underground comedy talent that you haven't heard of, and then also overground talent that used to be underground talent, but then because they were funny, they got to emerge from the ground and then be public. Uh, it's influenced by sci-fi, there's horror, there's how-to videos, there's pretty much everything you can find on the internet. Uh, Thing X is sort of a one-stop shop. I want to point out that it is not evil. It is satirizing the World Wide Web. The WWW, as some of the kids call it. Uh, and they have new series with Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington, a.k.a. Neil Hamburger. There's also interviews with Paul Tompkins, a four-year-old boy, a lobster man, and more. Go to thingx.com, uh, brought to you by Adult Swim and former writers of The Onion, thingx.com. And now, this episode of Nerds Podcast is my, is my old friend Paul Gilmartin. Paul hosted Dinner and a Movie for the run of Dinner and a Movie. And uh, he was really funny stand-up, really great guy, had a lot of struggles with uh, with mental illness throughout his life and, uh, you know, within his family and then struggle, the struggles of his own and started a podcast a couple of years ago called The Mental Illness Happy Hour, which is a wonderful podcast. I've been on it. Uh, it's just a very open, honest, uh, sometimes funny, sometimes... Uh, sometimes <laughs> dramatic, but in a in a good, heartfelt, healthy kind of a way. So I, I you know, really check out the mental illness happy hour and we talk a lot about that stuff in here. There's, you know, very probably kind of similar to the Maria Bamford podcast we just did. Um just kind of frank and but but not not so weighty, I mean like a lot of times when people talk about mental health stuff It's just very serious, and of course it's a serious thing And deserves to be treated respectfully But also you can just talk about it, you know Like it doesn't, just, we're people and people have shit to deal with And it's okay just to talk about it um, So this was a really great, uh, this is a really great time that we had, uh, had Paul on uh, We recorded this a couple months ago and I've been hanging on to it. Kind of this idea like, I'll drop it around the holidays when, when a lot of the mental stuff percolates to the surface <laughs> because of the holidays. But I uh, loved having Paul on. Check out his podcast. Uh, and here it is, Nerdist Podcast number 298 with Paul Gilmartin. Now
0: entering
1: Nerdist.com.
2: So, morning zoo, here with Paul uh, Hill Martin. Uh, we're going to go to traffic in a minute, but then some of our listeners send in
3: naked pictures of their girlfriends in a little segment we like to call the petting zoo. Right. That's my favorite part about uh, radios, like those kind of shock jock things that where they just have like, we got a lot of beautiful women in here. It's like, whoa, good, good for you. It's like, it's <laughs> like hearing someone have a good time next door to you. I'm a pussy magnet, but unfortunately, the pussies and
2: I are of like polarity. That's a physics joke. Where are all my physics bitches, Paul G. martin Thank you for being here on the podcast.
1: Uh, it's my pleasure. I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm 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 glad yeah. you had me on.
2: Now let's talk about feelings.
1: Now let's talk, talk about, about what feelings. <laughs> for
2: a talk about feelings. <laughs> what are you building right now, Paul? What are you building, Paul, Paul G. martin You are a master <laughs> woodworker.
1: Um, what what that, furniture? Exaggeration.
2: What furniture are you building in your garage right now?
1: Well, uh, actually, you saw kind of the, the prototype of of what I want to build more of uh, when uh, uh, Janet, your your ex, did that installation. Um, Wait, why'd you have to bring that up? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm gonna be okay. That was the
1: Arizona uh, one, the Arizona spaceman one? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It was. Uh, it was Santa Fe uh,
2: astronaut. Astronaut. Santa Fe astronaut. They did that. Yeah. She and Jessica Magenson did their art show. And that was the theme, and it turned. They got a lot of fucking great stuff. I bought a lot of different types
1: of stuff. That
3: was what was cool about the installation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so, Janet asked me to make something for it, and the idea that I came up with was to get a slab of mesquite wood, which is indigenous to the Southwest, and then to inlay um, the guts of. The motherboard of a computer, mm-hmm. uh, and I had an old computer laying around, so I took it apart, and uh, that a lot of people really liked it. And I thought oh, that might be a fun thing to to build for people is to to get slabs of wood and have that contrast. You know, the the slab of wood where the yeah. you know, it's got the free edges and it it looks like nature, and have the contrast of maybe people's old computer guts. Put uh, inlaid into like like an urn
2: almost like they yeah. have their own like the, like a like a taxidermy pet
1: yeah no. they can keep
2: by the fireplace. I mean the the piece was great. I will say that Jen and I both agree that that piece did start the demise of our relationship. But I don't want you to feel bad about that.
1: <laughs> I don't want you to feel bad I about knew that. I should have used a
2: more slender leg. I just. <laughs> That's a fucking beautiful line for some reason.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I should have used more slender leg.
3: Very last thoughts before you die?
2: I should have used, used more slender leg. Uh, Casey but... had that thought, actually. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> I wonder if Santa Fe astronaut, if you could have just put Kevin Spacey in uh, like a Southwestern shirt and he would have technically qualified to be sold at the auction. <laughs> Maybe. Because he's... Because he's played an astronaut, and his last name is Spacey. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Oh, did yeah. oh, see, didn't get that. Oh, yeah, that didn't occur to me. I find the best jokes have to be explained, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I always find it's best for the comic yeah. when he has to do the dot dot dot.
1: Mm. Well, because his last yeah. name is. It's always nice. It's good. It's nice if you haven't gotten your uh, daily uh, regimen of awkward silence. I, I think so. Yeah. I think awkward <laughs> silence. It's awkward. Nerdist s- podcast providing
2: awkward silence since 2010. Yeah, awkward, our awkward silence is, is is the comics meditation time but since we're talking about uh, meditation and, uh, and and mental illness <laughs> uh, when did you decide to start your podcast I think it was what was it about two years ago is that about right uh,
1: it the first episode went up in March or April of uh, 2011 yeah. so uh, about a year and a half ago it's only been a year and a half mm-hmm.
2: Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. It just feels like the show's been a thing for a while now. The Mental Illness Happy now, Happy Hour.
1: Well, the the maybe cuz the AV Club started covering it uh in like its 5th f- or 6th week, so it got on the radar pretty pretty quick. So maybe maybe that's why. Yeah. Um but uh the idea for it came up. I I dealt with mental illness my own mental illness for probably most of my life I, I i believe but i was diagnosed with clinical depression in uh in 2000 and i had no idea i thought just life was really difficult and everybody w- was assholes and if they would just <laughs> behave the way i needed uh, them to i still don't see the well, it's b- not, error there it's not totally <laughs> wrong. <laughs> i still don't see the problem with any of that and wanting to kill myself once an hour. That okay. <laughs> once an hour. <laughs> All right. Yes. All right. So, and if just you just skip get... an hour, twice the next one. Just,
2: <laughs> just the way a radio station has to ID itself at the top yeah. of every hour. Yes.
1: And it's yeah. 12 o'clock right now, and I'm... rather uh... jump uh, off it. So I, uh, at the urging of my wife, I went to see a, a, a shrink and realized that, uh, yes, I was very clinically depressed, and also I had a drinking and drug problem, and so uh, dealt with the drinking and drugs, and then uh, the shrink was able to uh, help get my mental illness under uh, under control, and uh, all of a sudden I realized, oh, this is what normal feels like. This is where, where there's not crushing anxiety all the time, where you don't uh, scream at. At people while you're driving, people that aren't even there, just arguments that you'd like to have, uh,
2: the next or remembering old arguments and getting re-pissed about yeah, them is it's one out. of my personal no, favorites.
1: Yes, the, the things that you would have liked to have said. That yeah, you, that yeah, yeah you didn't I say.
2: run all these. I run all these like douchebag simulations <laughs> where I'm like, these are the different ways that could have played out when I, I got I, in an argument with that guy. I tend long.
3: to bum myself out when I'm driving around and I'll think of like uh like something funny I could have said in a situation from years ago. I'll be
1: like that, I miss like miss that <laughs> opportunity. Man, that been yeah.
0: great <laughs> i like i like chris's like version of the danger room from x-men he's <laughs> just in there oh yeah
1: <laughs> douchebag yeah. Fuck. Be if somebody could invent a comedy vanity time machine so you could go back and say the perfect cutting <laughs> thing
2: but then it just changes the entire course of your life yeah we ha- you know we have to do a certain amount of suffering in order to in order to figure out what's funny about the world
1: we do <laughs> i actually i know you're kidding but you know we we we, I, I truly believe
2: I, that. I, I No, I'm serious. Oh, I okay. do believe that. We do because, you know, if you kind of need a little bit of that, huh, okay, fuck everything before you want to start making fun of it and deconstructing and figuring it out. Like if you're just – you know, people, people who are just super upbeat and happy all the time, uh, with the exception of Will Ferrell, don't really think to go do comedy, I, I don't think, because they just sort of feel like, oh, everything's all sorted out. Like, you know, with comedy, we're really dealing with stuff, and we have to express things, and there's a real commentary that's involved. Yeah,
1: and there's, there's a reason why the captain of the football team is boring when he's 40 years old.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, they're boring by the time they're like 25. Yeah, I thought they were boring in high school. They're boring in high school, too. Yeah. They're boring.
1: Um
2: but They're to, boring holes in all the cheerleaders, to borrow a term from Paul's uh, master, Woodsman. Woodsman? <laughs> you're a woodworker.
1: Uh, pedophile, right? <laughs> <laughs> the woodsman. Wasn't that the, the, the movie with uh, Kevin Bacon? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I
3: the, the Woodsman? Yeah. <laughs>
1: that was a good movie. I liked it. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah didn't, I, I didn't it. It was ballsy it. to to take on such a an unsympathetic uh, character.
3: Yeah, but like you do feel bad for you him, do. which is like the weirdest part about the movie is that like you're just like like oh poor pedophile wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are some directors who are really good
2: at. at I mean, like uh, like Todd Solons does a bunch of that where he tries to make you empathize with the worst people in the world. Happiness. Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: and, and, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: like and and it and it kind of fucks with your your idea of what a protagonist should be and and i think in, a, in that way it's kind of an interesting art experiment so that yeah, way I, like yeah.
3: i think the same thing with a lot of the jody hill uh stuff where it's like you know eastbound and down it's kind of daring yes. you to root for kenny powers who you shouldn't be rooting for right. you know you're like and same thing with um, i think breaking bad right now where it's like this whole time you're like come on walter you can you can and then like finally now you're just like oh fuck you yeah. but he's the lead so who do you root for well, but we're we're at a time where
2: a lot of lead characters are despicable characters. Like all, all, all like almost every show has despicable lead characters. Yeah. Um and maybe that's a commentary
1: about I <laughs> love it. Yeah. yeah. It, it was so boring uh the the era of everybody er, all the lead characters had to be the guy next door that rescues kittens, and it's like, okay, we get it, we know you want us now to. Now the like protagonist him. is the guy
2: next door rescues kittens and then fucks them in his basement, but yeah. we still love them yeah. anyway.
3: That was a good Dexter episode. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, uh, I, I I'm interested to talk to you a little bit about, you know, what you think. What do you think actually defines clinical depression versus, you know, um, how we're essentially. There's a lot of over-medicating going on, and people Absolutely. people, people aren't... I mean, you know, when people... As someone said to me not that long ago, like, well, do you think people should be on antidepressants? I'm like, well, that's not... That is a complex question. Yes, some people need to be... Yeah. Need to even out the chemistry of their brain, but a lot of people do not. Uh, and Kyle Dunnigan a, has a really great bit where he's, it's, he's playing a song on the piano, and he's he, it's something about... Uh, Xanax or some some sort of a drug, and then and then he he just very offhandedly ends it with, because why should I ever have to feel an uncomfortable emotion? Mm. And it I think it really sort of defines where we are culturally. Is a lot of people if they even feel slight discomfort throughout the day, like well, I should be on I should be on pills. Like no, sometimes you know, sometimes things are just not awesome.
1: Yeah, uh, I I think that medication should be the last house on the on the block. I think you should try every other thing. to, to deal with it, I think you should try um, exercise, nutrition, therapy, um, spirituality uh, all and by that I don't mean organized religions you know it could be uh, yoga, meditation, um, volunteer work, you know stuff to stuff to pick up your spirit mm-hmm. um, if you're doing all those things and you're still feeling uh, that sense of doom then then I believe it 's a it 's a chemical thing, and that's that 's what I had to do because i 've gone off them many times after. Learning to meditate, I was like, okay, maybe... Well, well, that was the missing piece of the puzzle. And I go off my meds, and the doom comes back, and the tears over over nothing. That's very um, dangerous, too, up. to go off your meds. It is, and my psychiatrist s- strongly urged me not to, but, uh, you know, I was pre-med, so I, uh, <laughs> I, I got it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, you know, if, like
3: the uh, the whole Brody Stevens breakdown was caused off of him just dropping off of his uh, Lexapro? Uh,
1: I'm, not, I'm not sure yeah. um, what he was on, but yeah, it... it it's, it's really dangerous, and most psychiatrists recommend ag- against it, but nobody likes to be beholden to a big evil corporation that makes pills and doesn't tell you what some of the side effects might be. Right. You know, that that is the part about taking meds that I hate. That explains your shoulder cock. Yeah. <laughs> But it's a it's bigger than my actual (laughs) cock, which is the irony that really makes me. Now, if
0: we could just find a way to harvest it, (laughs) uh,
2: (laughs) harvest
1: it.
0: (laughs)
2: There's a lot of lean fucking.
1: You just have to you like lean on people in the subway. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So you know my my opinion on meds is yes, a lot of people jump to that to be the first thing, and they don't want to deal with what you know. That's not going to help you overcome childhood trauma. No, or, no, no, no! Or the and fact that you're eating junk food 24 hours a day. Well,
2: I mean, we, you know, I don't. I don't remember I how it to 12. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how in depth we got on, in this when I went on your when I went on your podcast. But um, you know, the idea that uh, when I when I quit drinking, it, there was a flood of emotions. I mean, I was so up and down, and it, I, it was almost like you know. I was almost like this baby vampire who didn't know how to deal with the weird hunger, you know, like yeah. it was this guy cuz I I had been stifling any emotions for so long by just drinking every day for years that um you know it was like oh this is what <laughs> I mean in a weird sort of way it was almost like it was almost like getting hearing back, back yeah. after not having it or get, you know, like, I mean, maybe not as severe as that, but it's still like developing a sense that I wasn't accustomed to having. I'm like, Oh, that's what this is supposed to feel like. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that feels awful. But as, as you start to get older and wiser, you start figuring out that, you know, there are ways to deal with that stuff and it doesn't have to be the end of everything.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I liken using drugs and alcohol uh, compulsively to uh, like, Uh, like a caveman tool you know it it worked when that was the only tool you had yeah but at a certain point you need more sophisticated tools to cope with overwhelming emotion because to me you know addiction um you know compulsive uh, acting out of any kind it's all about trying to escape uh, emotions that are that are overwhelming and to me the the goal is to try to find the best tools for the certain situations that present themselves, and I've had to develop tools, which I wouldn't have done if I didn't have mental illness and if I wasn't an alcoholic and a drug addict. Yeah. So I'm grateful in many ways that I am because those tools now I can use when I go into a business situation and I'm starting to feel anxiety that, uh, you know, I'm I'm not enough, you know, that yeah. I'm, I'm looked down on or, you know, I'm going to get a shitty deal or whatever. So in some ways it's good, like you were saying, the, the the kid that isn't popular has to deconstruct things and learn how to look at the world. That can help you in, in in other ways. So I don't, I certainly don't regret it. But there's times like when my depression comes back that it's just, and I don't want to get out of bed. And it's just looking at a dish in the sink. I just think I can't, I can't even wash that. It's just, it's uh, crippling almost. Um, that's when it's like okay. I'm really not <laughs> happy to have this. And to be, and to be oh, you
2: hit happy. your you hit your microphone button there. Your hands on your oh, uh, yeah. There you my go. My bad. That's um, all right.
1: That's that's when it, it it's. I don't see any any good in it. But those those times don't last uh,
2: that long. Well, as long as you know that, then somewhere in the back of your. I mean, the tricky thing about anxiety is that no matter how many times you have it, it still can trick you into saying, no, no. I know those other times were just <laughs> yes. some axons misfiring but this is the
3: uh this is really the time where it's it's, like a breakup where it's like um, i know i was really sad about that last one but this one this is is the real real one
2: yeah Uh, you know i had a doctor i've never actually been on um well you know actually when i was in my 20s a doctor gave me wellbutrin to quit smoking uh which actually worked Mm -hmm. uh, but then i started again but then i quit again wellbutrin <laughs> Neither. No, I took it for. I didn't realize at the time what it was, and then when I found out that what it was, I thought it was just a quit smoking pill. I'm like, yeah. no, no, that's just a side effect. It's actually a. I was like, oh fuck, I, and then I did, and then I stopped taking it. They put me on that when I was seventeen. What oh it, fuck, what it for? Well, It's an antidepressant, antidepressant but it, it's it works
1: on your dopamine. It it, it for me. I t- what's one of the drugs that I take, and it helps with um, if you're lacking uh, vigor um, a lot. What of- about Vim? Uh, Vim? No, it's actually an anti-Vim. Moxie. Okay. Yeah, Moxie. It evens, it, it, yeah. it it pretty it <laughs> pretty much <laughs> evens out your pep levels. Take everything yeah, with yeah, yeah. Moxie. Uh, <laughs> but to to get back to your, to your question a while back, which was what what um, led to me coming up with the idea for the podcast, it was exactly that. It was the the last time I had gone off my meds, or actually, I think it was two times ago. The darkness came back, and Having experienced the darkness and then it going away and feeling what normal is like. Because uh, psych meds don't make you euphoric. They just make you not want to kill yourself right. when you're working. Not, you know, They allow you to get out of bed. Uh, so the darkness came back and I realized, oh my God, I forgot how real it is when it presents itself. Right. There are millions of people out there that don't know that. I should do a podcast where I paint the picture for people that are experiencing it so they know they're not alone they know that you can overcome it and I can describe what it's like to get help all that other stuff and I can have people come on and they can talk about their experiences with
2: Have this. you thought about touring with any of this like in in the no, but seriously like yeah. in the sense where that it's sort of like a seminar but really it's a uh sort of a comedy but there's a comedy element to it i mean just i, ha- I, I think it's
1: it... actually my dream is 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 to do it i, I thought you were being facetious like a com- doing a, a a comedy no 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 i mean i mean like joke. you know if
2: you if, if you if you because now now you have the audience you, you have an audience and people you know people would come out and see you and so if you could just go to places and sort of give the hey you know here's what depression is if you have it here's you know here's how you can start to deal with it but at the same time, it's you, so it's going to be funny, uh, and it really is kind of a. I think it's just a different approach to the to what what that seminar would
1: normally look like. Well, that was the other reason uh, when I came up with a, with the idea for the podcast was I, I realized that there's there's really there were only two camps of ways for dealing with uh, mental illness, depression, self help. There was the Dr. Phil talking down to you, and there was the precious new agey, you know, release your buttocks into Mother Earth, you mm-hmm. know, kind of.
0: Sounds great.
1: <laughs> and I thought, nobody's talking about this in the way my friends and I talk about right. shit. And so I thought it would fill that that void, and, and it has. People like hearing somebody talk about it in a way that... That isn't precious or condescending. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I did I did that a little bit in the book talking about anxiety, bit in, in in my in, in my book, because I just felt like so much talk about that stuff is is that people walk on eggshell and they're yeah. like, hey, you know what? Uh, we could. T- I, I feel like it gives us a little more power over it to be like, hey, it's fucking, you know, like let's just fucking figure it out. You know, it sucks, uh, but we experience it, and fuck it, we'll just we'll just figure no, it out.
1: There, I, I mean, there is a certain joy. To swapping jokes about being molested with somebody on the podcast. You know, I, I was molested by a neighbor, and it, they're there's something very freeing because you're not a victim anymore. If you can laugh about it with, with somebody else, obviously you need to process it before that. Of course. (laughs) But, um,
3: there started crying right in the middle of a bit. It was weird.
1: (laughs) There are jokes that you can crack when you have lived through, you know, years of feeling suicidal and having been molested and being an alcoholic and a drug addict and your father having tried to kill himself, you know, all that darkness, but it doesn't, it's not who I am today. And it, it it's freeing to be able to look back at at it and to be able to talk with somebody else and they know that you've lived through it so you can joke about things that somebody who hasn't lived it never ever Well could. because
2: you've overcome it and you it, it again it gives you it it gives you kind of a you're sort of wielding power over it and saying like I can deride you because you didn't kill me, yeah, <laughs> and, which is I I
1: I think is sort of a that is a that is a badge that you have earned, you know. Thanks, I I appreciate that. Some days I I don't feel worthy of that because I think that there's too much responsibility that comes with it. My big fear doing the podcast is that people are going to think that I think I'm an expert, and I say the intro to every show is this isn't the doctor's office. Um, it's not meant as a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not. It's not their doctor's office. It's a, more like a waiting room that hopefully doesn't suck. And <laughs> my big message is get help. I am not your help. While I may have stuff to share uh, occasionally that is helpful, the right. gist of it is to let people know this is a thing. It's real. You're not alone.
2: You got help, so other the people I have yes, to get so help. Yes, a
1: jackass, a pompous ass like me can uh, learn to get help. Anybody. Anybody, you know, can. I when
2: I was um, right after I quit drinking and I or right around the time that I quit drinking, I was experiencing horrible, horrible anxiety. And then and then you find like, oh, you're suppressing anxiety by numbing yourself with alcohol. But the chemical effect that that has long term on your body is that it actually creates more anxiety, which makes you drink more like it, it really yes. like when you go into withdrawal and then you have more anxiety. So you just start, and then you start drinking all the time and, you know, you just try to stay in that. Numb state, so you don't have to feel anything. Yeah. Um, but uh, right around that time, a doctor gave me. Uh, he, he, I was never put on antidepressants for any kind of mental uh, anything uh, other than the quitting smoking thing. You know, a long time ago. But he put me on. It was a really interesting approach. He put me on um, blood pressure medication, really, so that I my my blood pressure would be low, so that I wouldn't uh, go into anxiety mode. And and I'm not recommending that people go do this. It just I'm just telling you that for me it actually kind of worked for a little while until uh, one time with uh, with a lady I uh, couldn't uh, couldn't uh, make it happen need the because, on the right spot. because I was taking blood pressure medication and I was like. Uh, Daddy's got to have his boners. Uh, no more pills. So,
3: I used that excuse too, Chris. <laughs> what? What? I've used that same excuse.
2: Yeah. So all I'm saying is because I took that pill a long time ago is why I don't get boners now. <laughs> no, guys, I get plenty of boners now. Okay, I just right want to make that clear. But
1: you were able to break the news to her in a very relaxed manner. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Here's the situation. <laughs> my parents went away for a week's vacation. Yeah. They took the keys to the brand new Porsche, um, uh, and well, my boner pills.
3: What? What of the the um, the idea that how do you decipher between, because I have, you know, I, I'm not on any medication, I drink regularly, um, uh, but there are times where I feel good, there are times that, where I just, like, I'm not feeling too great, and what's the... Uh,
1: that's life.
3: That's just life, that's long, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, people thinking that if you go on med, you're not going to experience sadness or disappointment, no, you still experience those things, but they don't keep you in the house for a week, Yeah, you know, they don't have you in tears um unable to 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 function also every little thing shouldn't feel like
2: well this is the worst thing that's ever happened and now everything's fucked up forever
3: exactly yeah exactly. i i had a i had a girlfriend uh we were living together and she went on lexapro as like anti-anxiety because she was just working all the time getting what's really her up. name <laughs> <laughs> um but uh it was weird because like you know we had a bunch of problems and it was like always kind of tense and argumentative and she went on Lexapro and it was like having the best version <laughs> of that girlfriend and it was weird because I was like I didn't want to say anything I didn't want to jinx it I just I was like you know it was like we started like having sex again we like we having fun she was like smiling a lot more and I was like I was like oh, I fucking love science like this is yeah. great
1: that's a perfect way of putting it Jonah because that's what one of my shrinks said to me is he said, it It doesn't change who you are. It allows the real you to come forward because it's not masked by a chemical imbalance.
2: Well, it just, you know, because you're fucking with brain chemistry, you just have to make sure that you have a professional that you trust, because if if. If you start taking pill, if like if you get a doctor who's just like, eh, take a bunch of these pills, you start getting cocktails of pills. Well, this will bring you up here, but then this will even, you know, that's when you start getting into really
1: dangerous into, territory. Like
2: Ozzy if you don't know
1: what oh, you're yeah, doing. He's into the well, and, and and drinking with them, and is, drinking with them, yeah, uh, because not a good idea. Yeah, uh, but a buddy of mine,
3: he's I, I forget what he's taken, but like he says, uh, like when he's on the uh, the drugs, that uh, he just doesn't feel like drinking, and like it's like he'll have a beer and be like, nah, I'm all right. Which is weird because it's curbed that, even though it's making him feel better. Which
1: makes sense because it curbs the anxiety, and for problem drinkers, that's the reason why we drink is because we want to, we can't relax like like a normal person can. We can't shut that spinning brain off. And
3: what's and I I you know I, I know how Chris was drinking because I I met you when you were still drinking and yeah yeah and like but like what was what was the case in your drinking that you thought it was a problem?
1: Uh, That that's a good question because I didn't think I was an alcoholic even though every Almost every male in my genetic tree is is an alcoholic. Um, oh, I did you yeah. drink during the day. I didn't drink when I golfed. I mean, I I I never had a DUI. So I thought but I did drink every night and I would drink anywhere from two or three beers to twelve, depending yeah. on where I was. It's
2: funny after you quit and then you get a little distance from it, you look back and you start going, Oh, that's why I did oh or oh that's why. I had that all the time. Or, oh, no, you shouldn't do that. every Like, you, I, I got so much clarity that I just didn't have. Because the, 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 the gift and the detriment to humanity is that we are, uh, we are violently adaptable, which is, you know, why we have survived, uh, you know, to, to our level of the food chain, is that we're incredibly adaptable. And so y- we, you can adapt to any environment pretty much. And when you're sort of in that, for me anyway, that sort of, you know, like that hardcore drinking environment, it for most of the time, it didn't seem that weird to me. And it just sort of felt like this is fine. And then uh, and I and I couldn't imagine how I wouldn't be able to, you know, like get on a plane and not have beers or whatever. But then when you quit and you go, "No, no, no, that was just a fucked up pattern that I had. And I can adapt to this other way. But it's, you know, people who are on crazy cocktails of pills and drinking and. It's just, fucking, it's just fucking nuts.
1: Yeah, it, it, it is shocking sometimes to look back and see what your life was like and how that became your normal and uh, how kind of small and sad you begin to accept things are. Because if you're afraid to ask for help, and that, that's the thing I really stress on the show is ask for help. It's the smartest thing you can ever do. People think, oh, if I ask for help, that makes me look weak. You know, weakness is running away from a problem. Strength is staring that problem in the face and saying, I-, I need reinforcements. That that to me is the ultimate strength is facing that problem. Yeah. But most people can't get over that that societal kind of myth that you're you're weak if you ask for help. But it I Saying I need help, I can't do this on my own. It saved absolutely saved my life, and that's the thing I try to urge people to do. Uh, one of the things on the on the podcast I have is there's there's about a half dozen surveys that that people can uh, can take on the on the website because I want to I, I love learning about the listeners and hearing what it is that they're going through and especially their shame and their secrets. And one of the surveys <laughs> I have is called the Shame and Secret Survey, and people. Share their deepest darkest thoughts fantasies secrets, and it is absolutely fascinating and it's really educated me on The shit that people bury and the sick coping mechanisms that that they have. I I've, I've found at least a half a dozen women who were asleep a guy started having sex with them and they were so afraid of confronting the guy, they pretended that they were asleep and allowed themselves. You mean like a guy that they knew or a guy who'd
2: literally just raped them in their sleep?
1: Uh like somebody somebody at a party. Oh my god. A cousin. And and then they carry the shame around that they couldn't stick up for themselves. That's how that's how deep our inability of if if we had some type of trauma in childhood or you know, were raised in a really dysfunctional environment. That's how deep our inability to stand up for ourselves can be. And that's one of the things that I talk about a lot on the podcast is how to have compassion for yourself, how to learn to stick up for yourself. Because a lot of us were raised by super needy, inappropriate parents that didn't have boundaries. And so we learned that our needs aren't important and we have to serve their needs. So we grow up not even knowing what our needs are. All we know is if I can make everybody in the room feel okay, then I'll be okay. Well,
2: it's not only that, but, you know, like, I yeah, I was, uh, you know, I, I was raised, I mean, I went to Catholic school, which is just, like,
1: <laughs> its own. I mean, there, yeah. you know,
2: there were some good, there were, there were a lot of really good parts to it, obviously, but then there's the whole, like, you should feel bad about everything. And we were, I mean, like, the whole idea of, like, we were born to sin. We were born out of sin, you know, and it's like, come on, fucking, let's, and there and and we carry that you know through through the rest of our lives and there's there's such an economy of guilt with particularly catholics and also jews that i'm that i know it's like just that whole idea of like you should feel bad about everything like how many conversations have you gotten into with people where you're like i feel bad that i made you feel bad and now i feel bad about that and now you feel bad and now I feel bad that you're feeling. But then you feel worse because I feel ba- like there's so much. It's just there's so much wasted energy on on useless, like uh, <laughs> guilt that creates anxiety. Well, and there's
3: a funny thing about that, too, where it's, um, you know, you could feel bad, but just feel bad. Don't feel bad on upon feeling yes. bad. Like uh, that's like something I try to like, you know, me and my girlfriend talk about a lot. Where it's like it's like it's like oh I did this I'm so angry at myself and then I feel bad because I'm getting angry at myself and mm-hmm. I was like well wait those are two different things feel just the one right. feel bad that you messed up there are
2: it's, so many layers of guilt
1: and, and, yeah. and my belief on that is that's actually narcissism and self obsession disguised as I'm disciplining myself uh, you know people that beat themselves up all the time it's a way of allowing yourself to continue obsessing about yourself it's really quite selfish
2: that's an interesting point of view that i'd never considered before but i think i might have to agree with you
1: yeah that makes you're a lot sense you're
2: very selfish chris <laughs> were you talking to now, me don't beat yourself up myself. if you
1: realize that about yourself that's uh, the other thing i stress on the podcast is to get outside of yourself volunteer work support groups you know uh, hobbies things where you interact with with other people and you can stop sitting in, in your lazy boy trying to predict what the world is going to uh, look like, how it's going to unfold, because that—that that is one of the hallmarks of mental illness is just sitting there and obsessing about the future, or at least compulsive negative thinking.
0: Okay, now is this a hallmark? I just, all I obsessed about was lazy boy. And now
2: I
3: really want a lazy boy.
2: I should get a lazy boy, right? Yeah, I think it's. T- I think it's time for you to get a lazy no, boy. I, mean, I
3: think you should keep on listening to what everybody's saying. I mean, again, I don't
2: understand. I, I, I think I may have said this on the podcast before, but I, I, you know, I think it's. I think a good rule of thumb is, uh, you know, learn from the past, plan for the future, but live in the present.
1: Absolutely. You know, the, a lot which of is the, words.
2: It is a lot of words. But if you but, you know, your brain can only focus on one thing at a time. You have you we cannot. It is impossible, even though you even though we can multitask to a degree is impossible to focus on more than one thing at a time. So if like you said, get outside yourself, go volunteer, you're going to be focused on that and that will take you out of like stand up was always a cure for anxiety for me because I couldn't focus on my anxiety when I was on stage. Because I was just too in yeah. the... It is literally impossible to focus on two things at once. So if you can get outside that for even a minute, it just sort of... It, you can distract your brain in other in other directions. And I think that's what a lot of us do who suffer from any form of anxiety or depression. It's just we're constantly trying to distract ourselves from the chatter.
1: Yeah, that's the the bliss of losing yourself in a hobby. And, you know, the, the nerd brain, as you, as you describe it, needs that thing to obsess on. I mean, there's a reason why I've been obsessive about every single hobby I've ever had you know the first time I bought a camera within a year and a half I had taken so many pictures that the picture counter rolled over <laughs> <laughs> you, you know the first time I started buying domain names within Four days, I had five hundred domain names, Jeez. and this was when they were seventy bucks a pop. I what, went into debt.
2: What's what's your dumbest domain name that you own?
1: Old people fucking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, now get this. Dot <laughs> net. I didn't think even dot com was enough. That's how oh sick
2: my. Oh, my oh brain I thought you were going to say that dot com wasn't available.
3: What was yeah. the what was the idea behind that? It? Was like I'm going to get all these and then I'm going to fucking sell them when someone yeah. comes knocking. Yeah. Have you sold two, any of those? Two. Two of them, which ones? The
1: rest of them I, I let go. I sold um uh I Old think people blue farting. comedy or blue comedy or x rated comedy. I can't I can't remember what, what the name of it was. Um there's there was two or three that I sold, but most of them were just flaming balls of shit. Yeah, and that was
3: like kind of like that was almost kind of like gambling. You were just that yeah. was a gamble. And
1: oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But when you are in your mental illness, you think you're so anxious you think this is my savior. I thought this is the Wild West, this is the land rush, and in many ways it was, but not for old people fucking. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Well no, hang on. Yeah, mine, I, I should have
1: brought the list in. That never, Uh mine were
2: uh mine were were uh, dude my nipples are huge dot <laughs> com and uh, and papal nip slips, I thought would be really funny. Just like a tumbler, like just a page of like, of just fake pope, like pope nip slips
3: throughout the ages. My friend, uh, as a joke, true got, uh, sandpaper condom, <laughs> and, uh, and he, like in his head, he was like it was going to be a weird side. Then he just like, ah, now nah, it's just my side. No, it's just, <laughs> just yeah, this, this is what I tell people to deal. go. To. Yeah, um,
2: do you You brought some paperwork here. Is this? Oh,
1: these are just some some of the surveys. I thought if you guys were were uh, interested in seeing. Some of the things that, that people—like well, yeah. here, I, I want to read this one. This um, One of the things you can check on, have you ever been the victim of sexual abuse is some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. This is the most fascinating thing on the survey to me because you cannot believe what some people aren't sure is abusive or not. Dude, when I used to guest host Loveline and people would call in—
2: uh, <laughs> There would always be some horrible thing that they didn't, that just didn't occur to them was the, or like a girl would go, like, so a girl would call in and go, um, or like, like say say a dude would call in and go, uh, yeah, uh, hey, um, you know, I don't know what it is, but I really like to be punched in the face during sex, you know, like, is there, what is that about? And Drew would go, well, you know, what happened to you when you're younger? Nothing. So, really, nothing happened. And then Drew would kind of lean away from the mic and he'd go, sexual abuse, and then go back to them, like to just to me. And he'd go back to Mike and go, What what happened to you when you're younger? And he'd go, You know, I can't really think of anything. Um, well, this one time, I, you know, an uncle put three fingers in my butt. You know, when I was like four, could, do you think that could be it? like they would literally would literally yeah. like, do you think that could be it during the well, Ali Fraser yeah. fight?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so
1: yeah. my own personal rumble in the jungle. <laughs> yeah. So
2: so anytime I see jungles or getting hit in the face, um, but uh, but uh, I can't go to the Philippines without. But yes. yeah, but it's just the idea that horrible things happen, but people just it just becomes so much a part of their mental routine that they don't stop to go oh actually that was a really fucked up thing that probably you know yielded all of these really horrible emotional results
1: well you know I just went through one of those about three months ago I finally was able to see um my relationship with my mom for for what it was because as a kid I could never allow myself to say hey my primary caregiver is abusive um, it just—I couldn't go there, so I would blame myself on the things that she would do, the things that she would say, uh, you know, the boundaries that were creepy that she would she would violate, because I couldn't. A little kid can't go there, so that because that's that it's too terrifying. Well, it doesn't
2: even make sense when you're a little kid; you don't have the experience and wisdom to know. You just think, oh, this is how it works. Yeah, this is how. You know, these types of—this is what every kid, you know, goes through, and they just don't know. So what what is an example of this, some this, of the stuff?
1: This is from a uh, a girl who—a woman, uh, is in her 30s. Um, it, she checked the box. Some stuff happened. Don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. Uh, and then she explains, my stepdad, who is—never good when it starts up with stepdad. Not sure. Um My stepdad, who raised me and I love very much, used to watch me in the shower from the ages of 13 to 17. I'd often see the door open when I was in the shower, but could never catch who it was because by the time I was done, whoever was at the door would be gone. We moved when I turned 17 in a house that had a bathroom in my bedroom, so the peeping stopped until one day I saw a shadow at the bottom of my bedroom door. I opened my door to find my stepdad on his stomach under the door. When I asked what he was doing, he said he was checking to see if I was awake. Uh. <sighs> she doesn't consider that abusive.
2: It is. It is definitely violating.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that,
2: if someone he, is, if someone is looking at your exposed body in a way that they that they that they are being sneaky about it, and yeah, you don't uh, know what's happening. Devil's advocate. How else are you gonna know if she's awake? <laughs> okay, All you right. know, Matt. Brings up a really not valid point at all. What uh and so did you write back did you talk about it on the no, show?
1: These one of the things that I that I do is I don't get people's um email addresses sure. or even the IP address sure, sure, of your sure. computer because I've had people admit to crimes. Um I want them to feel completely assured that they can unload the deepest, darkest stuff.
0: So you just get their social security number just and the last their, two yeah, addresses. I mean and it's sort it's ID. sort
1: of like, you know, with uh I have the same.
2: I sort of had the same approach as you. With like, I'm not an expert. I'm a guy who went through a bunch of shit. But I do feel like, you know, if you have if you have the platform and you can get to enough people and just at least get them to start asking the right questions, then it's sort of up to them. You know, like you you have the you have the ability to be a catalyst, really. Absolutely. So you may not ne- necessarily be an expert, but you're really. You, you know, you're an expert catalyst in a, in a, in a sort of way. And, and
1: that's and that's what I hope to be. And I get a lot of emails from people who thank me for letting them know that they shouldn't be ashamed to go see a psychiatrist, to go see a therapist, to go to a support group, or to just open up. I had a woman who filled out uh, a shame and secret survey um, a couple of weeks ago, and I read her survey, and she, she was— um, So touched that I had read her survey, Um, she emailed me, and then she opened up more about stuff, and I encouraged her to go to therapy and to, you know, find a safe friend to talk to, and she did, and she wrote me back, and she said that she has a new lease on life, that her soul feels lighter, because she shared stuff with this other safe friend, and then that person shared stuff, and she's like, and now we have this real relationship, and we're not talking about the weather, and that to me is... What the what the podcast was well, meant to and meant to I do.
2: And, and when I when I say to people you know uh, if someone's having a rough time or whatever and I go you know m- maybe you should talk to someone and like even if it's a therapist and they go well I don't need some psychiatrist to tell like I like, think there's this kind of old idea about like what that means and I always say listen you 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 know you have to think of it like exercise you know even if you do nothing more than one hour a week you go in to talk to someone. And you can be as selfish with your time as possible and just get stuff out to a person who is not only a professional, but will not judge you. That is really important because it's sort of like you have to release the steams like you have to turn the valves regularly because that shit builds up. And it just it need we are beings who need to communicate and we need to express things, but we're also horrified of being judged and we feel guilt. So you need to be in it within a, a relationship dynamic where you are safe and that will not happen. And even just that alone, even if nothing crazy is going on in your life, it is very helpful, I think, to mental health to just have that kind of relationship because you can't you can't always dump that shit off on your significant other. You know, Jan- I don't think this is talking too much out of out of I think this is a too uh, revelatory, but you know there was a period in my relationship with Janet where we kind of had that rela- toward, toward each other. It was just like out in the world we had, we were like, oh, everything's great. And then we come home and we just dump all our problems on each other, and that's not healthy for a relationship.
1: Yeah, no. The, it, and people think that um, if you go to a therapist, you're going to a therapist because that person is smarter than you. And so a lot of people never go to therapy because they're like, no, I know any therapist I'm going to go to is not as smart as me, but it's not about intelligence. It's about having a different perspective and therapy is almost like you need to look at the back of your head. You can never look at the back of your head. You need somebody else to describe the back of your head to you. And that's, that's what therapy is. It's, um, it's it's a it's a process also kind of like the weightlifting that you were talking about it's stuff needs to come out that's
2: exactly that's yeah. exa- you know like the the David Allen who is a big productivity guru who I you know I based a lot of stuff on when I when I wrote in the, in the book his whole thing about and, and this 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 spills over into productivity is that you can't start to become productive about your life until you see everything laid out in front of you like you have to Every time you have an open loop in your head or a task, you have to get it down on paper so that you can see it, so you can figure out what to do with it. And most people just sort of feel like, no, no, it's fine. I'm dealing with it they Like, no, no, no. You got to get it out. Fucking write it down. Tell it to someone. Make a, you know, like you, you know, use your iChat camera and just fuck and just get it out. Like, just say you just have to literally just get it out in the open because we we are we are expressive beings and that is that is how we have to exist yeah
1: writing is so therapeutic and it gives you a perspective it's it's it allows you to see a little bit of the back of your head uh get getting it down on third person third person perspective
2: yeah on yourself absolutely
1: um what is the what is what do
2: you think is the worst shame and secrets that you've ever seen like where where you where you kind of felt like I think I need to fucking track this person down and really get them help. Uh,
1: well, I had one guy uh, who uh, actually uh, had molested both of his daughters, but he um, he did time for it, and he's now in a uh, support group to help uh, you know deal deal with it. And he has total remorse, and he knows that his obligation now is to deal with his uh, sex addiction. And, and to deal with that. I had uh, one person admit to uh, having killed somebody when he was 13, um, but he said it was a child molester, and he would do it again. Um, because I he, he think got that's away fair. Uh, there... There, there's so many. four, three hundred people have taken the Shame and Secret survey so far. And you can go and see everybody's results. That's the one thing I wanted. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I wanted everybody. So when you, if you go to the, uh, the website, uh, Which the, is? The, the podcast is Mental Illness Happy Hour, and the, pod, the uh, website is mentalpod.com. And you'll see a little thing there that says survey and results. And you can either take the survey or you can look at the results. So you can scroll through. All of the surveys, see how everybody responded to it. You can, uh, it, it, it's fascinating. I, I'm on there every day, learning uh, about people. And uh, and there's also upbeat surveys. There's like ones where people list their happiest moments. Um, there's funny ones like vacation arguments. Because I've noticed like the worst arguments I've ever had in my relationship have been on vacation. And, and there's yeah. something beautifully sick about like yelling while you've got a snorkel in your mouth (laughs) you know or giving somebody the silent treatment while you're wearing ski goggles you know i have
2: a lot of theories about why people argue on vacations number one i think it's i think it's slightly off-putting to be out of your regular environment for any length of time uh and you feel a little out of control and so you might be a little more like yeah a little more a little more prickly um and uh And also uh, late at night is a bad time to have any kind of serious discussion about anything because you're just not all there. But particularly on vacation, I think you're you kind of uh, when you're when you're when we're in our daily routine, our defenses are up because like I know my routine and my defenses are up and I can protect myself. Then you start to relax a little bit. defenses come down. Shit starts coming out that you've been walling up for a long time.
1: And I think you both bring expectations to how the vacation is going to go. And every moment of a vacation, vacation is compromised. So it's like <laughs> you're suddenly your two things have to have. What do to you mean flash. you didn't pack that? Why didn't you pack the thing You were supposed to pack the thing. Yeah. My wife and I were skiing one time in, in Mammoth and she thought I was skiing too fast and ignoring her. And I thought she was purposely skiing too slow. <laughs> and so we got in this huge argument and we got on the chairlift and she didn't sit quite right on the chairlift. So she's starting to fall off, and the chair lips going higher and higher, and there's that point, and And I've got her, like in the movie, where you know she's grip, gripping my forearm, I'm oh. gripping her forearm, and we're about, I don't know, five or six feet off the ground, and I have to decide, am I going to try to pull her up and risk, if it doesn't work, we're going to then be at 12 feet, and she's going to get hurt, or do I let her go now, you know, and just get it over with? So you shot her. And so <laughs> I just relished the moment and just looked at her with just a dead, dead face and said, I got to cut you loose. (laughs) (laughs) I just dropped her and her face was, I can't even describe it, but it was like, fuck you. Yes, I understand, yeah. and
0: I'll
1: fuck, see thank you in you. about 15 minutes, we're going to th- talk about fuck, this. Fuck, thank you. Oh, my god! But fortunately,
0: <laughs> there's a
3: gap, too, because you just yes. keep going up, yeah. and you're just <laughs> <laughs> waiting there like, all right. What, what you going to say? say? <laughs> yeah. But we I'm, laugh about
1: it to I'm this, have to have this to cut day. Children's. Oh,
3: my God, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, oh, my that God.
1: Good. But <laughs> that, that made me think that I bet other people have vacation arguments. Um, oh, my God, of course. So, you know, if anybody wants to go share their – their deepest, darkest. Well, stuff. there's
2: also the frustration of like, this is supposed to be the happiest
3: time of the year. <laughs> yeah. He's you like, you're mad on each other's nerves at Disneyland. It's like, come on. Right. I brought
1: you here. <laughs> I paid money for you to have fun. Now, fucking have fun. I don't know how you guys feel around Christmas, but I, I just, I feel like a Martian around Christmas because everybody's so happy. And I'm just always reminded of Christmas at my house, which was not happy. It felt like obligation. It just felt, um, I just felt. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but um, every time Christmas rolls around, I I just don't... I feel like... Why can't I feel the way other people feel?
3: I have it kind of both ways. Like, my immediate family, we had a blast at Christmas. It was really casual for us. It was just kind of like presents and goofing off. Uh, But then we would have to go to my dad's, you know, family's, like, events, and it was just like, okay. Like, it was like real... Everyone was angry. Everything was very, like, here is your present like Rent. just everything with nothing no joy yeah you know everyone the fucking was just, season telling me how to feel it's like everybody was just waiting to leave and like it's like we were like oh it's family we have to yeah. do this and my parents were just like ah don't worry we'll go home and we'll watch christmas story and we'll just like you know we'll make some hot chocolate you know so. it's so
1: nice that you had the other thing to go to go back to
3: yeah 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 it was uh it was it was very nice it was like you know our my family was uh sometimes to a fault like very casual. You know, it's interesting because my my
2: mother and I are fundamentally different in with the fact that she was raised with a very large family. I mean, she only had one brother, but my grandfather had 10 brothers and sisters. And so holidays were always these huge family to-dos and every Sunday after they'd all they were Italian Catholic, they'd all go to mass and then my great grandparents and my great aunts would make these, you know, homemade Italian Sunday afternoon meals and I'm an only child and so I sort of I am comfortable in isolation and I'm not a big family person just because I was, you know, I was allowed to be selfish when I was growing up because I didn't have, you know, we 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 didn't really I didn't really grow up near that a little bit but not much. And my poor mom is a very big family person and I, I'm just a like, uh, let's you know, I'm fine just alone. So it, it is a very interesting dynamic that we have even with just my mom because of the way that we were both raised so 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 differently
1: yeah there there is a dynamic i've always loved being around big families because it, it was the opposite of what it was like in my family. I, you know, I always joke that my my family growing up was like the movie Ordinary People without the belly laughs. <laughs>, <laughs>, <laughs> for, for those of you that are too young yeah, to uh, fucking, have seen the movie I mean, Ordinary People, that, Ordinary movie, that people. movie
2: is heart wrenching, but it is a fucking amazing movie. We had to watch that in
0: high school. Our theology teacher showed it to us. Well, ours our for too. Somebody. Yeah. And it ended and we all fucking for some reason we're all just a bunch of shitty high school kids and we all just like cracked up and started clapping.
1: Well and of course when it was
0: over and then he fucking turned off the he's like, in twenty years I've never had that reaction to this movie and I was like, Well, it's pretty funny. Mary Tyler Moore does. I mean, some she, funny stuff.
2: She, she's. I mean, you do, you do root for her to leave at the end, and you do root for Donald Sutherland to. Well, now if you haven't seen it, I've just spoiled it. But it is. A, but I. Spoiler alert! It's the really movie thirty years old. Netflix instant. Um. But, but I, but I do recommend it as a movie because I think as a film, it, it, it so beautifully captures uh that, and as a book, it so beautifully captures that that kind of dysfunctional family dynamic you know some horrible thing happens but they have to have this perfect face of a family and so they mash it all down and then all that fucking shit magma starts bubbling to the surface you know and
1: the elephant in the room that nobody will talk about
2: yeah and And, then it drives and the the teenager to just like what you said about like when you're a kid and you don't know that you're there's supposed to be another way and he that poor timothy hutton's character connie literally does not is not equipped to be expressive because everything's supposed to be neat and perfect and tucked down and he just doesn't understand and when Judd Hirsch finally gets him to let it go it just completely changes his his
1: outlook yeah it's uh it it's a beautiful beautiful movie but some people don't you know if you weren't raised around people that know how to express their emotions it, and nobody teaches you you don't know how how to do that and that's what my parents were like they didn't know how to express their emotions they were i never saw my parents kiss i never saw them hold hands i never saw them express any affection fingering i i hmm. did see my my dad finger my mom okay once. just one um, time but did they fight when they were fingering <laughs> fight fingering yeah fight fingering yeah. oh
2: like fight fingering. Dot com. why did ah! i not get that damn it
3: Oh, it's, why it's, didn't we catch you when you were in that obsessive uh, phase? And it's really easy. You just go listen, you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you punk your yeah, little, little. Uh, uh, but it, uh, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't know how to to do that, it's it's it makes life really, really uh, difficult. But that's what my relationship with my parents w- was like. And I just, for once, wanted to scream, "Why the fuck are you married? You hate each other, but you don't. You just go smoke weed." Um, I
2: think, (laughs) I think I did scream that to my parents uh, because my parents were very emotional and very expressive, um, but they, um, they had wicked fights, never physical in any way, but just like, you know, and it was like at a certain point, I think I was uh, like 10 or 11. I was like, why are you guys? I mean, I I said, why are you guys together? Uh, what did you remember what they said? Um, you know, it was just one of those moments where during a fight, no one is, Communicating on a rational level.
1: Sex is fabulous, Christopher. (laughs) All right. I was just checking. Thanks, Dad. (laughs) Um, I couldn't hear him over the Donkey Kong.
2: That's right. (laughs) Well, video games helped. Uh, uh,
3: I was wondering um, a lot of, like, uh, in my head when I'm talking to people, I find a lot of grown up and uh being like a like a, is a is like forgiving your parents just yeah. for just being people yeah and uh it's like i try to tell uh some of my friends that when they're just like ah oh, my dad is a blah. like they kind of still have all this like i was like you gotta understand they're just they're like like you're as old as they were now and like you just kind of gotta chalk it up to like it's like hey they're just a pr- they're just people they're it, not gods yeah exactly just like you know forgive them for being fuck ups. forgive them for being dumb forgive them for being irritating you know, um, we are because
2: I think we're biologically programmed as children to that is the ruler of our universe. That is the ruler of my universe. And I need to stick close to them so I can survive.
3: It's a, it's and a do commandment. With, too. And then at know? a
2: certain point and then at a certain point, if you don't kind of start to not be disrespectful, but realize like they're infallible. I mean, like, they're yeah. not infallible. They're, they're, they're fallible creatures that, uh, that it really, it's, it's, it's a, it's a healthy thing. It's a healthy thing to be yeah. able to do.
1: Yeah. And, and to be able to have compassion, like my mom is, a, is, a, it feels weird to say this so publicly, but she's a sick person. You know, she, I believe that she believes what she believes. Um, but I have, I have tremendous compassion for her. I, I had to cut contact with her. Um, And it's been probably four months just because I don't feel safe around her. And I I left her a message and I said, "Um, I don't hate you. I'm not angry with you. I just need a break because I'm exhausted by our relationship. And so I'm probably going to communicate with her again just through letter uh, because it feels safer to me. And, And I'm sure I'll go back to visiting her. But I just I needed that space to be able to process stuff and to and to. Have have some compassion for her and, and can I for me. can I
2: ask you a truly horrible question? Sure. And you won't be mad at me. No. But it is but it is something that I'm curious about. Um, what if in this moment you're not communicating with her? She dies. How will uh, you feel?
1: I've thought about that. I would be okay. Uh, I would be okay with it because um, I spent 40 years of my life putting her needs first, mm-hmm. and it almost killed me. It almost killed me, and. Cutting contact with her was the hardest thing I ever had to do. I felt like a part of my chest was just had a gaping hole in it. Yeah. And it hurt so bad, but I got to the other side of that, and I was able to feel strength in not being a puppet. Not that she consciously is a puppeteer, but she's she's not mentally well and she can be really volatile. It's like one moment she's telling me I'm the greatest person on earth in a way that's almost creepy and like overly mm-hmm. drinking me in, and then the, the next moment telling me that this is stupid and denying that something I actually experienced ever happened.
2: Oh yeah. Well wow. that's that's not a stable environment yeah. for no. to, to
1: So to to give myself distance from that to be able to process it feels really good um, and I and I think I had to do that because if I would have been taking her phone calls while I was processing that stuff, I would have been so phony talking to her because I wouldn't have been able to say anything other than I'm I'm really... Fucked up over what happened to me as a kid, yeah. And I didn't want to do that. She's eighty-four years old. She's not going to change.
2: No, probably so not I, at this I point. I don't
1: want her to to have to deal with that because she, if she were sixty, I think that that might be different. But, um, you know, I talked to my therapist about it. I, there's no way I could have gone through this thing alone, and I just didn't have the perspective. So, you know, I talked to people in the support group. I talked to my therapist. I talked to my wife. You know, when I, when the, this whole thing came up and I was finally able to see what my mom was really like, it was, I'd always had this fantasy when I was in like first grade of going to a, an older girl on the playground and wrapping my arms around her and just being able to sob. And I didn't know why. And And I've really had it my whole life. And when I got into therapy, I realized, oh, you know, I wasn't mothered properly, but I didn't know what it was that kid wanted to say, and when this stuff finally came up, and I finally took that option off the table of your, your mom couldn't possibly have not loved you, when, once I took that option off the table, this emotion came up, and I went to my wife, and I asked her for a hug, and I wrapped my arms around her, and the words came out, I said, she tricked me, and she used me, I didn't deserve it. I was a good boy, and I sobbed the deepest tears I've ever, ever sobbed. And And my wife said, I've been waiting 20 years for you to say that. Holy wow. shit. So she felt it the whole time, but she can't say anything to you about the that. The first hour she saw my mom, she knew that that's that's what was, was going on. And she has always told me, you have not fully dealt with your stuff with your mom. You are underestimating how much damage she has
2: well, caused because you. because, again, going back to the whole sort of like we're adaptable thing – we just accept, we, we will just accept horrible circumstances. It's like, no, this is just how it is. Whatever, it's not a big deal. This is just how it is. Meanwhile, all of, the, all of the lower levels of your brain, which you don't have, you know, direct access to all the time, are just sort of figuring out, like, just like a Rubik's Cube. Like, how the fuck do I solve this? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. and then before, before you know it, it just starts bubbling up in other weird areas. It's
1: going to come out so you might as well have it come out in a way that's healthy that causes the least amount of damage, and that's what, what therapy does for me. I, I was able to come up and out as opposed to me, you know, shooting somebody on the freeway because they cut me off because that's yeah. the other way it used to come out is I would get in fights. Uh, you know, I the things that I, I play hockey and the things that I used to do when I would get <laughs> mad playing hockey, You, uh, I, I got in a fight one time with a guy, and I did, wasn't able to get a good punch in. And so the referees pulled me off him and I was so angry that I tried to spit at the guy and my spit hit the referee in the face.
2: <laughs> so you don't get to stay in the game after that then. Uh,
1: I got banned for like 6 games and you know my friends all made fun of me but that's where my anger goes if if I don't process it yeah. in a in a way that's that's healthy.
2: So so the the long and short of it is, you know, just because we're we're about at our hour here is uh, (laughs) I sound like a therapist. We're about at our hour, Paul, Uh, is is don't don't try to deal with shit on your own. Find someone that you can talk to who you know is safe and won't judge you and will let you kind of deal. Like, you know, even if that other person, even if that therapist is a kind of therapist that won't necessarily interfere but just get you to stir up your own thoughts and be a sounding board. Sometimes just being able to say stuff out loud will make you go, when you hear it hit you back in the ears and you're like, oh, oh, wait a minute. You know, like you kind of have those moments. So it's really, really, really important to do that. And, uh, you know, uh, Mental Illness Happy Hour is your podcast, mentalpod.com. Yep. Uh, and then you know it, 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 the surveys. I think is a is a really really fun I- is a really fun idea. Mm-hmm. I mean not I mean obviously not everything that comes out of it is fun, right. but it's an interesting way to at least maybe help people start to make some of those first steps or asking some of those questions. Mm-hmm. But ultimately. You know, um, and there's a forum too on the on oh, the website. okay, great. And that's a
1: great way to initially get stuff up oh, so out a nice, and nice support group board with yeah. other people,
2: but i think I think the important thing, and I think the thing that you're that you're a testament to is you know, pretty much no matter what you're going through, that ultimately, you know, uh, you you can be okay. I think that's the important message for people to take away is no matter how dark or no matter how deep it feels. Uh, Like you're just in a where it's like the ring where you're in a well and you just see like a tiny ring of light, you know, like you, you can, you can get out of it.
1: Somebody else has lived it. Somebody (laughs) else has lived it.
2: Somebody else has lived it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, that's why support groups, you know, I, I, it was very comforting to me, you know, particularly with anxiety or like drinking or whatever, like, oh, because we all want to be unique. But there's something really cool about in those moments of feeling like I am not unique at all, which means that this is territory that has been dealt with before, which means there are answers. Yes. And there's a community and there are people that will understand. And I'm not just this fucking island of (laughs) misery. Right. You know, I'm actually attached to. A (laughs) landmass.
1: I know I'm in my sickness when I think I'm better than people or worse than people. And I know that I'm in a good place when I feel when I'm content being one of one of many, yeah, and that's those are the best moments. Is there
2: just as just before we we never even talked about dinner in a movie, which was a phenomenal show, which is has like
1: was on television for like eighteen years. Uh, yeah, sixteen years from ninety five to uh, twenty eleven.
2: But so so we'll have to have you back on, it, then we'll talk I about dinner movie because dinner and movie we'll was talk a about great
3: comedy next
1: time. Yeah,
2: <laughs> uh, thank you so dinner, <laughs> much. Di- for di- dinner me movie on. was such a great great show, and Claude was great, and I know Janet loved being there for like the last six years that she was on the show, yeah. and uh, and you guys did such a wonderful job, and I know that. Even, even, even as long as the show is on, I know people were really bummed to see the show go away because uh, you guys did mm-hmm. such a such a great job. Um,
0: how else would I know how to make meatballs when
2: I watch Goodfellas? Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> what were they called? Do you remember what were they called? Did they have a name?
3: Uh, I don't think we showed good fellas.
2: Oh, you didn't? Yeah. Oh, okay. Was just a, I really
3: thought joke. you were going to say, how am I going to know how to make meatballs? Because when you guys showed meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> These are the meatballs from yeah, meatballs. That's too on the nose for dinner in movie. Oh, sorry. Thank <laughs> you. This is how I, I learned how to make pizza from Hot Dog the movie. All right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Go back and get your shine box of fucking hot dogs.
0: <laughs>
2: Go get your fucking shine box. Uh, but is, is there just sort of one thing? Is there sort of one mantra that you you know just to kind of help people as we wrap up this podcast there's some sort of one mantra you know at the end of our episode we always say enjoy your burrito Mm -hmm. which is a which basically just means as we've explained many times um don't live in the past or or the future future just enjoy the present while it's happening because that's all that's what you have um but i think rather than saying enjoy your burrito today is there one thing that you could sort of like send people off with that they could kind of practice to themselves Keep seeking Keep seeking.
1: seeking. This the, the people that are most successful emotionally in life are people that keep uh, keep uh seeking. Mm-hmm. Also I, great for Quidditch. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. All right. Good. <laughs> but again, it's good to end the podcast having to explain
2: that. That's right. a Harry Potter joke. Uh, right. I apologize. I did, I'm sorry I just underscored the entire beautiful message that you had <laughs> yeah. with a dumb fucking wizard sport joke. Wouldn't be the Fake next podcast without it. <laughs> hey, come on, Jonah. Say it's real. (laughs) Keep seeking. I I think that's a beautiful message. Always continue to grow. Always look for growth, kind of thing. Keep seeking that burrito. Yep. (laughs) Uh, And keep seeking uh, mentalpod.com. Paul Gilmartin, it was lovely to have you on. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. And again, I I urge people to listen to your podcast. Uh, Thanks, everyone. Keep seeking.
0: Now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.
2: This episode of the Nerds Podcast was brought to you by ThingX.com, brought to you by Adult Swim and former writers of The Onion. ThingX.com for most, if not all, of your interwebs needs.